Oh, shit. Uh, uh, okay, okay, okay. I pull out my spellbook, uh, trying not to get overly anxious about it, and I'm going to start casting that Unseen Servant again to help me drag people out of the room to a more uh, aerated area. And between the two of you, you and the servant get everybody out. It's actually back out under the open top where you face the blights, because you know the air there is fresh. Garnak is actually the first to wake up, which is good because he's also the heaviest. Hi! <laughs> whoa! Alright. That happened. Yeah, you alright? Um, sort of. What happened? Well, we were explaining to Vesper why our in hindsight, not very heroic acts uh, were merely out of concern, but also teamwork. And then all of you started to pass out. And, uh, oh, we were also going over that uh, grimoire that Magrin found. Oh. Yeah, that was probably dumb to stay in that room. The amount of alchemical processes going on, the, the magical effects, the different ley lines that are probably flowing. Yeah, we should have left there fast. I'm, uh, which way's out? Which way? I'm going to sit down. Yeah, please don't, uh, don't stand too soon. Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains mature themes, adult content, coarse language, and things that might offend sensitive listeners, and so listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then thrill to these tales of terror in a town called Tallwater, far away in the west. It's the sort of place that has a space for the good and the bad and the worst and the best, and the sane and the mad and the cursed and the blessed. If not at its university, at least in its menagerie. What weirdness will these academic adventurers uncover in this Eldritch episode? Well, I could tell you, but... We'd rather show you we're the Runelanders. This is Tallwater Tales. So get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. Out is going to probably be forward. I don't think we can get back up out of here. We don't need to leave. Just stay out of that room, get clear-headed, get everyone back to something sane. Did you get everything you wanted from there? Oh, I'm done. No, I'm, I'm done with that room right now. Just, yeah, we'll worry about 
We live through this place. We get stopped by there on the way out. Let's stay out of there for a bit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, who hit me with a shovel? That it was Juro. That was it was Juro. Okay, you know what? That would be. Sorry, the... sorry. It was Juro. That would be the formaldehyde fumes, I would say. Yeah, stupid to put an alchemy lab without ventilation. Ugh. I do wonder about that. I don't think. I don't think it was. Uh, Miriam or her assistant that set up the lab down there. Something tells me they were being held prisoner. No, I I think once they became undead, it didn't really matter, and they were shoved down there, but... Ugh, I'm gonna have such a headache after this. <coughs> Damn. I stumble over to Finn and make sure that he's still breathing, and seeing his chest rise up and down, I go to check on Vesper and do the same thing and make sure the air is coming in and out. Vesper is barely breathing. There's not much of a rise and fall. And with that, Vesper starts to make noises. <coughs> Rolls over onto one side and just is quite literally trying to hack up a lung and get all of the poison out of her system. Well, as the sole person already on his feet... Uh, I will go go and uh, kneel next to her. What? You, you want? <coughs> I don't want anything. Are you okay? She just kind of gives the stink eye as she finally hacks up a little bit of blood and spits it on the ground wipes her mouth with the back of her hand. I'm fine. Juro looks at her for just a second and then stands up and turns away. His his uh, right eye is twitching a little bit. There's just a bloody grin on Vesper's face and then she moves into a cross-legged position and just breathes. So why were... Why were Miriam and her assistant in that laboratory? Anyone have any ideas? Let's do this roll with advantage because I, I'd kind of like it to go well. So why not? Juro Arcana. 23. Finn Perception. 20. Not natural. Garnak Insight. 19. Magrin Medicine. 18. And Vesper Nature. 21. So, as you sit there and start to talk amongst yourselves, the whole scene comes together. 
The camera shifts back into the room the moment before Vesper came creeping in. And we see that on the desk was the many-stained, much dog-eared, faded, and worn directions for Animate Dead. The laboratory behind her was clearly stocked to do so. Most of the herbs and natural substances there were meant as preservatives. You'll find them largely used in undertaking Vesper, just as a point of note. Magrin, they're also a great antiseptic and uh, powerful, and many of them can be used as powerful anesthetics, um, soporifics, things to put people out. Finn, the layout of the place was mechanical, but the path on the floor that you noticed because there wasn't a speck of dust on the equipment there wasn't a speck of dust on the tables there wasn't even a speck of dust on the floor what there was was a path worn smooth by the endless passage of those shod feet and uh what you saw was once you cast your mind's eye to the sky as you often do when trying to figure out where something has gone, you know, while you're tracking, for instance. The whole thing takes on kind of one of these eldritch diagrams that Juro's always on about, but you can never wrap your head around. You've got some arcana. You're not bad at it. For, like, you know, an outdoorsman, but it's not your strongest subject in school, certainly not. At the same time, that and the herbs together and the, well, the, the list, the, the ingredients list. Juro, this person has been mass-producing anime dead potions for what looks to be a couple years now. Huh. I think whatever was happening in that room was happening a lot. It was well-trafficked. And obviously used recently. Considering the herbs that were in there and the amount of herbs that were in there. Another thing, Vesper, a lot of those herbs were fresh and to be rendered, right? And everybody who goes to Tallwater has to take basic alchemy. It's just part of the academia curriculum. You know, you learn the basic, the very basics. You can turn tea into a beverage when you're done, but, you know, you understand the very basics of alchemy, that sort of thing. Yeah. Somebody has been bringing fresh materials to this alchemist. Someone living was down here very recently, and not us. It seems like this was... This is more than just the run-of-the-mill haunted house, Professor. It's a factory. 
It's a... It's a whole operation, and it's been happening with zero oversight. And within spitting distance of the university. And in sweep. So, Adam, for using these animate dead potions, would they most likely have to be imbibed by the person casting the spell to give them the necromantic energy to go through and cast it over and over again? The thing is, these are just anime dead in a bottle. You can pour them on a body, and that person will get back up. It's advanced alchemy, like it's zombie oil. Wait. Wait. Perhaps... Juro, didn't you mention something about... Castle's wine? I am wondering because... Wait, he was exporting. Wasn't he exporting? It was... No, it was... That was elven wine. It was fine. I don't... I don't no, no, no. I, something else. Something else. Didn't he mention something about, like, a di liquid diet of sorts? Juro is going to pause and consider that for a second before lifting up a finger, pointing at her, pointing it at her, and shaking. Vesper, you, you are, you are clever, and I, I'm just going to pace for a couple minutes and consider uh, the magnitude of what was just dropped on me. Huh. Even working with that ne much necromantic energy, I mean, it, it's not inherently evil, but is inherently destructive. I mean, that would destroy a person. You wouldn't have no, enough no. left with them afterwards. I... No, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is also inherently evil, not to put too fine a point on it. <sighs> yeah, it would, it would totally annihilate just the, the essence of a person. Okay, so... Here's the plan going forward. This place doesn't need a cleansing. This we already know. This place is not haunted. This place is a factory of the undead. And they are mass-producing a, a, just a, a chemical, a chemical version of a relatively powerful, but simplistic spell. I don't know how they're doing it on mass per se, but Would that explain what happened to Magrin? Well, no. Nothing that I know of explains what happened to Magrin. But I do know that this place is not haunted. This is deliberate. Whatever is pulling the strings in this house is alive. I'm worried it might have caused something else. You, you can't have that much energy flow through a place. You can't have that much 
that deals with reworking the living world and re-rendering it without having consequences. It, it's going to cause a tear. That tear could do all kinds of damage. We do that all the time. It's called magic. Yeah, but if you focus that much of a particular type of energy, particularly one that's designed to rewrite the living world through one location for long enough, it can cause some type of unintended consequence. Magic done properly should not have unintended consequences. This is not done properly. This is done in a way that's going to end up breaking or probably already has broken I don't know what. It seems like instead of standing around guessing what it might be, we could just go into the other room that Master Garnax doohickey told us was something in there and see what it is. I'm good with that. Maybe we can sabotage the factory equipment, so to speak. You have walked away with several key pieces, like drained and dropped and put away and stashed in Magrin's hair and various... Well, you were in there breathing fumes for about an hour and passing out. Hey, was that long enough for a short rest? All right. Around you is the submerged grotto patio behind the house on Hawthorne Hill. Ruins of the door that keeps the passage to the basement hidden. The hole in the scrim over top of the patio itself, obviously intended as a, a natural floral shelter from the elements. By the look of the place, you know, it might have been nice to sit down here, but time and tides, the elements have taken their toll, right? No upkeep things fall apart and there's been a couple of campfires built here and the odd bit of graffiti and you know there's uh, exaggerated proportions of various genitalia as you'll find in these sorts of places spray painted on the walls along with you know defamations on people's reputations and the assertion that a local bard, this one or that, is some sort of emerging divinity. Apart from that, there's a closet over which hangs a raggedy screen of Hessian cloth. It appears to be a closet. Nobody's gone to look. Uh, are my saltwater taffies still on the floor? Some of them. About how much would you say? Enough to put into like a bag and just... Oh, easily, yes. Yeah, just uh, a few of them have gone missing thanks to the predatory depredations of sparrow mice and whatnot. Alright, I'm going to gather some of those back up. And while I'm bending... Well, in fact, as you get over towards the pile of sparrow mice, unwilling to seed its prize grabs hold of the wrapper of your taffy with its teeth four paws and leaps into the air but the extra quarter ounce of weight is really taxing on this little light creature's airspeed and so instead of flittering up like a flash like a flash it kind of struggles up into the air and comically tries to hold on to the taffy and 
you know, barely escapes your maximum reach as you get over to sweep the rest of them into the sack. Yeah, I'll, I'll clap at it and kick at it. Just get away from my candy, you little rat bastard. It peeps angrily at you in the way that sparrow mice do whenever they get in your way. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best to ignore it at that point and just start gathering the candy. And while I'm doing that, uh, I will say to the others, so just to put it all into one bundle, current working theory is that uh, someone who may or may not be Hank and Judith Castle is running an underground zombie oil operation out of the basement of Hawthorne House. Right? That's what we're going with at the moment. Correct? Yeah. We also have some type of spirit here that attacked Magrin. I'm guessing the two are related. Well, I'm hoping the two are related, because that means that our job is limited to one particular target, which we're not sure of yet. If they're not related, this house could have multiple layers of haunting, and uh, we're going to need an exorcism in addition to, you know, just the, the local constabulary to come in here and clean up. So, Juro, what do you need to find to be able to get the exorcism going? We need to find the heart of the problem, and that doesn't necessarily coincide with the heart of the house. But, details aside, we still have work to do here. Uh, and I'm not quite ready to turn over our findings to the police quite yet. Alright, Best guess. What direction should we be headed? Hey, Magrin. Yes? There's a breeze coming out of that closet. It's slight, but you noticed that just then there's a, there's a, something was moving the curtains, but only the bottom. Nothing else. Not the leaves on the ground around and they're blowing out for sure there's so there's a there's a draft from in that closet for sure i'm going to move towards the closet and put my hand against it like under it to see if there's if i can feel like a draft coming from beneath it very faintly yes Finn. yes when magrin moves over and and like kind of crouches down to feel around for the draft you look over to see what she's doing and it's then that you get the sense that there is something hidden hereabouts it's the reason that nobody ever wanted to play you know hide and seek with you and uh why you always cleared up why you always cleaned up like egg hunts and stuff like that hidden candy from you come on Let's not waste our time. With Vesper on my back, I can... It's a little bit hard to notice, but I can sort of feel a bit of an itch on my shoulder. And Finn will say, Auntie Magrin, I'd be careful. 
I think there's something in there. I think you're right. Who would like to open the door? Well, it's just a couple of pieces of Hessian clothing. Or, sorry, a couple of pieces of Hessian cloth hanging over this supposed closet. Um, I mean, nobody's ever actually peeked in there. It's just assumed that it's a closet, but where would a passageway go, right? Well, apparently quite a ways behind this, because when you just edge the curtain aside, you see that the rotten wooden back of the closet has the bottom right corner gnawed out. And uh, as you move the corner of the curtain, a sparrow mouse, suddenly noticing the movement, freaks out, dashes off down into the hole and away. Who wants to go down the, or look down the dark, scary hole first? Well, it's dark. I don't know if it's particularly scary. Oh, come on, Jura. We're in a haunted house. I thought you wanted a bit of drama for the show. Oh, yeah. It's recording. Jura, look down there and squint. Jura will, uh, once again pinch the bridge of his nose as if a ter- as if beset by a terrible headache, sigh deeply, and shake his head and then move towards the hole and peek down and uh I'm also going going to try and look at some of the other parts of the wooden backing see if there's anywhere that like indicates an opening of any sort. Oh, once you get your face in behind the Hessian, it kind of cuts out any of the ambient light from uh, from the room itself, and you, your own shadow kind of plunges that corner into darkness, which allows your Faborn vision, after a couple of blinks, to adjust to the dim. It's not an instantaneous process, and there's been a, quite a bit of brightness lately. I mean, the sun's up upstairs anyway. The room is bright enough you can just see with regular vision. Now that you're in here in the dark, you can see that uh, in the like that gray dimness, that black and white monochrome dimness that uh, you can see for a while in, there's a joint. There's a, a, a flat piece, like a, a flattened floor, which means a which meets a squared joint at the wall. Huh. It's been worked. The passage goes on behind this wood a little bit, you would guess. There's This is probably a secret door. There's just something about it that itches at you. The grognard in me is now patting himself on the back for, you know, and the nod to the fact that first edition elves, when elf was your class, you could just notice secret doors because why not? Yeah, I'm going to give a slight push on the wood. It is spongy and gross, but it still has enough structural integrity that uh, it kind of hold, that it holds. However, you look up, and there, about halfway up the length of the door, you can see uh, hasp and eye enclosure. I, I will unhook the hasp. The door swings open and inward on greased and well-greased hinges, but the wood that makes up the door is rotten and wet 
and so it kind of hits the stone of the passage with a wet slap that goes down the hallway. It's an obscene sound, like backhanding somebody's grandmother, right? It's just an offensive slap. I will turn back and look at the others and, and tilt my head towards the opening. Uh, and then I will disappear into the darkness beyond. I think it's time maybe I put you down this Vespa. Have some courage. I follow behind Jero. Vesper just snarls and at him in Kanyan as she gets down and then smacks him on the shoulder. I think you and me need to be watchful. The others don't seem to be too careful about things around here. Yep, you can feel it all on your, all up your back, the back of your neck, and the bristles of your neck hairs, but most especially in the pulsing of your tattoo, I'm sorry, in the pulsing of your birthmark. There's secrets down there. Somebody's trying to hide something. It's concerning here. What did his voice say to you? His, the voice said, Stop wasting your time. Come and see me. Secrets revealed are not worth the effort. But secrets earn. Come and see me. Stop wasting your time. Come and see me. Or leave this. Well then. Let's go see what there is to find. Well, that's what we're here for. Let's not let that professor get too far ahead. Antimax, you want to stay close to me? Yes, Finn. I think that would be smart. Don't worry. I just need to say that I'm in trouble and he'll come running back, apparently. After the tongue lashing you gave him before? Well, I don't know. You, you, you do hear me call from, from a little bit further ahead. Yeah, no, you're on your own this time. Magrin, you, uh, you can't see, except for... Oh, actually, you do. You can. You have those goggles that Garnak gave you. So you fit those down over... Like, you take your glasses off and put them away in your hair. And then, uh, find the goggles in your hair. That takes a second. And fit them down over your eyes. Focus them until you can see, because, you know, there's a few different depths of perception on these things. It, you really should sit down and fiddle with and figure out. But once you do that, the darkness resolves into an image in black and white. The depth is a little bit off. We should probably ask Garnack about that at some point. How narrow is this tunnel? Um, narrow enough that you can't walk two abreast. It's five feet side to side, more or less the whole way. It's not even, it should be noted. Um, but Garnack, insight. That is a 13. This stone was not worked so much as shaped. This is not a natural passage because, well, like the, the stone wouldn't flow like that. 
So somebody has pushed this passage into the stone of the island, probably using magic. It's been like because it's flowed, right? Like there's no chisel marks. The uh, places where it is square, like back at the beginning, somebody put a lot of effort into it. But you see about 10 feet down, that effort was just abandoned in favor of getting the friggin' passage pushed through, right? So it goes from square to round and then round and uneven and then kind of wandering as though somebody was just pushing stone away from them as they went. If you had to guess, you'd think that this would be a move earth. The result of a move earth series of spells. Sorry, an earth mover series of spells. This tunnel is intentional. Whatever has it here has it for a reason. No kidding. All right, Finn is going to head down the tunnel after Garnak. Is, the, is there any incline to to where I'm heading? Is Am I heading downwards? Am I heading... Yes, the tunnel slopes downwards at a slight, uh, I'd say about a 15 degree angle. And are there any turns or are we just on the straight and narrow at the moment? For now, you're walking off into the dark. The uh, cramped conditions make visibility like make full visibility for anybody who's not in the front kind of hard but you are in the front so yeah that's right you went down first um so yes uh jero you sneak off down the hallway you feel the smooth stone of the passageway occasionally get covered with like uh you know that beach sand that smooth wet beach sand that's firm to the touch but is actually shifting well it, it's yeah. that kind of sand right it's uh it's in a few different places as you go down the hall and the hall gradually descends um you come around a corner and there is a very well it's a landing but it's more like uh somebody mashed their thumb into a big pile of play-doh you know, in appearance, uh, more than any sort of sculpted or geoformed thing. This is, you know, while you're out here in front of everybody, this is a thing you've done on and off since you were a kid, right? Like you're, you're a surface elf. You are an elf like every other elf, and you know that's that's fine. And nobody talks about the drow who live in the mid worlds or in the outer worlds and their tunnel kingdoms and all of this and how there was, you know, apparently some of them in the Karanjanor labyrinth, but nobody's seen them in years. So this is your spaceman fantasy come to life essentially, I gotta say, Jero. You know, here you are, wandering down this dark tunnel, using your native gifts, the silent elven hunter in the dark, right? It's actually kind of a thrill. Yes, but it it is certainly a momentary, uh, almost almost assuming someone else's life. Though it it's nothing like the the cozy cloistered warmth of uh, of the academic world that I have become a part of. Sure, but I mean that's your late that's the later part of your spring aspect, right? And it's there's a thing. 
you should probably let them uh, know about that. But in time, but early on, earlier on in spring, that whole you know that that mid worlder juro bit, right? When you would go wandering just to the mouths of the caves when your mom would tell you not to. But still, hanging out in the bigger galleries at the openings of the cavern systems, just far enough to feel like you were risking something, but not far enough to actually be in trouble. Oh, so this is sparking like actual direct memories for me, not just ancestral memories. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? Like this is this this is yeah. Juro memories. This is ten year old Juro. Get out of those fucking caves, Juro memories. Finn is actually kind of surprised because going down the hall or the tunnel in front of him, he can hear the squeak squelch of Garnak's leg, but he actually can't hear Juro. And he's surprised at how stealthy the professor has been because he's only kind of seen him as a distracted academic in a classroom setting. Yeah, it's really easy to forget that he's a full-on elf, like a full-blooded elf. Like no elf is to be messed with. Yet people mess with Juro incessantly. So, what does that tell you about him, right? It's nice and cool down here, Vesper. Damp, but still cool as cool as subterranean stone that never sees the sun. Oh, she's enjoying this. So, Juro, as you stand there. In your, as you stand there in the squashed out bowl of the landing, you see that there are crude steps which have been shaped into the stone. This opens up into a bigger sort of cave. Now, um, make a perception check, please. That's a 12. You are deep in thought and remembering the whole, you know, cave, cave elf Juro fantasies of your youth. And so um, you don't hear these guys entering the cave before they get there. Um, it's the light that drowns out your vision. It's when you notice that the room is starting to bleed in some, into some color that uh, you finally catch on that somebody's approaching up the cave. You don't think they've seen you, so you drop to a knee and take cover behind the rim of the smashed-out bowl. Just as squeak, stop, squeak, stop, squeak, stop, squeak, stop, Garnak comes out onto the landing. Garnak, uh, the first thing you see is that Joe has taken a knee. The next thing you notice is that it's awful god darn bright in here. What's the source of the light? You can't see over the ledge, unfortunately. Like over the over the edge of this bowl, it's like a five and a half foot bowl. You have to kind of step up and look over, and you're not over there yet. But there is some light coming from elsewhere in a cavern. I uh, raise a hand behind me to symbol uh, to signal the people behind me, and start trying to move carefully with gun drawn towards the edge of the lip. See if I, see how close I can get, see if I can take a look, and do what I can to minimize the noise from the lake. All right, you uh, you can do that by having your movements, but you don't need all of your movement to get over there, so you can use the rest of it, being very careful so it's just like 
you you have to put your weight slowly on the foot so it doesn't squeak or stomp, right? So you get over there to the edge, peek over, and you see that there is a lantern approaching from down the hallway. Um, Finn, you are the next one out with Magrin behind you and Vesper behind her. I'm going to sort of creep forward stealthily, uh, kind of, you know, drop one hand down with my other with machete drawn, ready to react. We above looking down, or are they above? Yes, you're okay. you're you're above looking down. Got Good it. question, and thank you. Yes, you are above and looking down into the cavern. There's uh, like rough hewn stairs that lead down into that way, and uh, the other side of this cave has a tunnel which the light is coming out. Now, as the light bearers break into the cavern, all dark vision is washed out. Uh, normal vision takes over. Garnak, what you see is like a bachelor-sized cavern. It'd be good for a single person or like a newlywed couple. You sure wouldn't want to stay here after the first couple kids. Like it has no utilities. It's not, it hasn't been shaped at all to be a residential cavern. I'm just giving you an idea of the size, right? Like a one or two person dwelling could easily be put in here. Although no amenities have been done to it beyond the stairs. The people holding the lantern who come out are both human. Juro, Vesper, Garnet, Hell, all of you. Make an insight check. Thirteen. Seven. Thirteen. Eleven. Twenty-four. I guess the rest of you are all kind of too short or crouched down or at the wrong angle and don't get the same view because you don't make it as quickly as Vesper does when Felon turns to Hawkins and says, you do this every fucking time. Oh shit. This should be good. Vesper, you have just seen two faces you have not seen since you kicked the shit out of both of them. Vesper's clenching her teeth and her hands and with a sudden lunge goes racing down the stairs towards the two of them. Let's have initiative for everybody. Eight for Garnack. Three for Magrin. Nineteen. Nineteen for Juro. Eighteen for Finn. I just wasted a natural twenty on an initiative roll. I don't think it's wasted when you're about to waste them. No one can stop you now. Juro, what'd you get? Uh, I got a nineteen. So... Vesper loses her mind and goes charging off down the stairs. Everybody else, you're caught kind of surprised by this. So, Vesper, you get a round of surprise. What are you going to do? I am going to run up to Philion and with my surprise round, I am going to cast 
primal savagery on my hand and cut a bitch. On your hands? You've got a hell of a good head of steam coming down those stairs, I'm just saying. No, no, you're right. We're going horns. All right, so as Vesper goes pouring down the stairs like, you know, 120 pounds of raw feminine fury, she starts growling. And there's this uh, mist that comes flowing off of her, like off of a cool pond in the morning. As she runs down the stairs, her big padded feet slapping on the smoothly formed stone of the rough staircase. And as Philon looks up, Vesper drops her head and charges, and the energies which flow all around her condense into antlers, which replace the ones that she's so recently lost. Roll an attack. Fifteen. You got him. Five points of acid damage. All right, so you nail him, and uh, as he goes wheeling off, from this blow, you can see the thomachrome flash of the armor he's cast on him uh, spark. But uh, again, you also felt your horns grab a good chunk of flesh. She's just snarling at him, at both of them, but particularly at him. Top of the round, Vesper, you're up again. She's going to turn to Hawkins and pull out her scimitar for her attack. 14. All right, so you gore Philon back down the hallway a bit. He lands on his back in a thud with the thomachrome flash of his armor, of his armor. Uh, visible for just a second. You turn and take a slash at Hawken, um, and Hawken is ready for you. He raises his forearm and deflects your scimitar blade with the very mage armor that you saw Philon wearing a second ago. With his other hand, he draws a wand from his belt, points it at you. Is that all you got? And then it's Juro's turn. Yeah, Juro is going to very quickly take in the situation, sees everything unfold in front of him, and the horrifying realization dawns on him that, oh no, these two definitely have magic. He's going to flick his finger in a launch of firebolt uh, at Hawkins' hand to try and at least get the wand away from him. All right, roll your attack, and meanwhile, Finn, yeah, you're up. Okay, so Finn is confused. He sees what seems like two humans. Doesn't have any idea why Vesper and Professor Volant are attacking them, but figures there must be a good reason. But because he's not sure, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cast Ensnaring Strike at the one... Philon, I guess, the one that Vesper attacked first. That's was... a disadvantage. That would be a disadvantage. He's been knocked down a hall. You can barely see him. Oh, okay. Then Finn probably wouldn't do that. He would probably aim for the one who he has the best chance of hitting. All right. I just thought I'd mention, right? So... Yeah, thanks for that. Yep. 
Okay. Roll your attack. So it's a regular weapon attack um, with my rifle. So Finn draws his rifle, takes quick aim, and sort of kneels on the edge of the lip of the bull, looking down, uh, and fires a shot. And that is a 15. Okay, so that, you hit him square on. The shell kind of, like your bullets, the one that's going to explode into a great big mass of vines to grab him and pull him down, you know, the one that you've specially built with all those with all those careful inscriptions and alchemical formulae while pouring the bullets. Well, it hits his mage armor and is contained by it. The spell fires, but he throws the charge away and it expands uselessly in the corner. With that, two piles of bones on the floor begin to reconstitute themselves into something resembling a humanoid shape. Uh-oh. So, can I ask just a couple of questions about the details of that attack? So, Absolutely. So, I believe it the is. way it works is I use a bonus action to actually cast the spell and then it affects my next actual weapon attack. So I, right. I, think, I think I could do both of those in one turn. Yep. Um, does did I hit with just the regular weapon attack, or did his mage armor deflect that too? You missed. Okay. The next time you hit a creature with a weapon attack before the spell ends, a writhing mass of thorny vines appears at the point of impact, and the target must succeed on a strength saving throw or be restrained by the magical vines until the spell ends. A larger, larger creature has advantage on the saving throw. If the target succeeds in the save, the vines shrivel away. So, you missed to start with. He didn't Got it. need to make the save. He didn't need to make the save. So, the spell is still on my weapon for the next attack if I hit. Yeah. Or is it, is it expended? Well, it says the next time you hit a creature and you didn't hit him then, so yeah. Okay, okay, got it. You know what? Good to bring that up, Nick, because it's an important distinction, so thank you. So that's my turn, I think. Okay. So that puts us on to the next set of things. Okay, so as the bones begin to reconstitute themselves, you see that Hawken uh, draws, his wand, draws his wand up and uh, points off and to his left from his right hand, and then bringing the wand down with a slash and spitting a word. You can see that he just drops two motes of light from his wand, one of which spins down into the sand at his feet, the other one kind of spinning around his head for a moment. The mud method summoned by this wizard, Hawkins, with his wand, pulls itself into its humanoid shape for its first action, fixes its gaze on Vesper, and roars with a sound like tons of sand being poured down a chute. The next thing is the wizard's, uh, well, Hawkins is going to use 10 feet of his movement to back off of Vesper and uh, get out of the line of sight of Finn. And, well, Finn, 
the smoke from your shot, you notice is starting to coalesce again into a humanoid form in the air right in front of you. As if that wasn't bad enough, as Felon gets up, you can hear that he's muttering an obscene sort of word. The two sets of bones have assembled themselves and stalk over to protect him. Hey, Garnak. Oh, what's, what are the sources of light in the room right now? Right now, the only source of light in the room is a magical torch flying on the ground and Vesper sword. Okay, so I can't douse the light in the room. Um, do I recognize the two kids? Now you do. What, was I aware of the magical lock that was put on them? Yep. Can I sense anything about that? Because if they're supposed to have some type of a lock, it seems like a strange thing that's not working. So what can I tell about the, the, the magical locks that are on these guys? Perception, please. That is a 21. Well, the, the lock's still on there for sure. They look to you right now, just to your bare thomic senses. Your engineer's eye, like that Hawkins fella for sure is wearing a Van Dolder's shield brooch. And that one, it's not his work. That's, that's a manufactured item by somebody who knows what they're doing. And the way the guy waves it around, that's not him. So they're using artificery. Well, they're using artificery. They're not actually casting spells. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Is there any way to, to use the lock that's on them to shut down some of the artificery that's going on with them? Any way to expand it or make it uh, envelop them in something somewhere? Well, do you have a dispel? Do you have dispel magic available to you? I do not. That would be the only way to do it. You'd have to knock those devices out, right? And unfortunately, they're not conducting any thumb through their pattern, right? They're just—they're not channeling any thumb. The lock is still where it is. In order to futz with the lock, you'd have to get hands on. Right? It's that you can't do it remotely. It's like trying to pick a lock from across the room. You need well, in that some case, sort I think device. I'm just going to shoot them. So why not? You know? Uh, because I rolled a three. So that would be a really not good. <laughs> that would be a seven. So As you stand... Go ahead. So, I, so you're I'll, gonna take a shot? Please go ahead. I'll take the shot and move into close and start closing in to get closer. Well, the problem with that is that as you raise your can shooter up to nail uh, to nail Hawkins, who's the most visible one right now, and moving back into cover, that smoke from bin shot coalesces into a method which drops down onto the barrel of your shooter which knocks your trajectory down um, and saves Hawkins entirely. Like your shot goes watering all over the place. It just kind of bounces off of your barrel and over towards Finn. So now that he's back on, now that the skeletons have helped him back up onto his feet, Felon goes, Hawkins, with me, let's go. Cowards. 
Hawkins kind of looks over at the cave entrance where, and like kind of judges as to whether he can make it to it, make it to the door before Vesper gets a hold of him. So he looks at the method and he says something that you're, anybody here speak primordial? I'm going to guess no. So he says something that sounds like rocks grinding together. And the method kind of grunts an uh, affirmative and uh, wanders over towards Vesper flowing into the form of a short, stocky, vaguely humanoid, but no neck, just like a hump head into big brawny shoulders, uh, down into two fingered hands, you know, the big thumb two-toed feet and just short stocky muscular tear bits off form and it kind of stops over towards you with its feet slapping wetly onto the stone last but not least number three so magrin's first gonna try to identify the creature learn more about the creature quickly yeah we got company all right then let's have a folklore check please magrin 20 Ding-a-ding-ding. These are methods. They're minor elementals. They're the sort of trick critter that you can buy wands to summon. The more vicious sort of person will summon an attack dog style of elemental. There are wands which will summon children's entertainers and things like that. It's... The ethics of that sort of thing are kind of smoky but in this case you can see that hawkins has no problems with telling these things what to do because one of them has burst out of the sand and is now menacingly stomping over towards vesper while the other one knocks a shot wide from garnak's can launcher and bounces off of that very barrel to extend smoky claws to finn Magrin's gonna reply, not my nephew, you elemental bastard, and then uh, use Toll the Dead. I need the method to give me a wisdom save. It's a big fat one for the listeners at home. So, Magrin says that not my nephew, and with a deep focus, speaks a word of dismissal. Thank you kindly which rips into the thomic pattern holding the smoke method together roll your damage please and we're going to treat that as though it's got damage so roll so so roll the bigger damage dice as your target botched their safe we're going to treat them as already having taken damage for the purposes of dealing damage yeah no problem um that's going to be eight damage okay so your Dis, your word of dispellation, uh, so your word of dispelling causes the smoke method to lose all of its form and resolution and just go wafting past Finn for the round. Top of the round, Vesper. How far away are Felon and Hawkins from me? Philon is rapidly retreating under cover of two skeletons, and uh, Hawkins is on the other side of an advancing mud method. Vesper is 
extremely outraged at this present moment, especially by the, not just by the fact that these two assholes have decided to make a reappearance, but by the fact that they are running away. So she's going to charge towards Hawkins and just try and basically go around the mud method if she can. So I need you to roll an athletics check, please. 14. So adding their athletics check onto this, you are grappled. You go running past it, it grabs hold of you and drags you back. You are grappled. Your speed is now zero. Can I still attack? I technically haven't attacked yet. Well, you have to close. He's made, he's made distance. You have to take a step. No, no, you no, no, to... no, no. I'm going to attack the thing that's grappling me. Well, you were trying to get around it. So now you can attack it, yes. But you will give up your attack. Uh, you will give up your attack to get Hawkins. No, that's fine. Um, So she's grappled by the mud method but she's going to extend a hand and cast Frostbite towards um, Hawkins just as a kind of a final fuck you before dealing with the mu- with, before dealing with the mud person. Okay, well, you nail him square on. Roll your damage. Five points of ice damage directly in his eyes. Maybe. That's where she's aiming. It doesn't mean it hit there. <laughs> All right, well, with that, as soon as the Mephic grabs him, he goes running. You take a bolt, you take your bolt and nail him square in the back. He stumbles forward. Uh, it looks like he's going to spill over onto his face, you know, like that wheeling sort of stumbling run that people do when you're, when they're trying hard to recover after a shove going, a shove from behind. Uh, but he eventually gains his feet and uh, just bolts off down the hallway after Phelan. You are left in the chamber with the mud method and the smoke method. Yeah, I think that's all the Vesper can do, so. is recorded live and curated produced and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin Harrison Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz Greg Setnick and Carrie Copley all the usual people played all the usual parts and if you want to know more about them you can find out all about them, all about the little easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes and so much more at runelanders.com watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon that'll about do it for this episode next time on moonlanders we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun you have to check it out we'll see you then i'm dm mad adam i'm damn good guy reminding you to roll high and don't die until next take good care (laughs) 